This is Jason Cast. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I'll tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called MP Local. Hey, this is Scott Nearman with NP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I'm joined today by a longtime friend, Scott McFarland, the Executive Director of the Missouri Community Service Commission and Director of AmeriCorps programs in the state of Missouri. Scott and I worked together some years back at the state of Illinois, the Serve Illinois Commission, and uh, we've kept up over the years, but uh, Scott has gone on to accomplish great things uh, representing uh, volunteerism and national service at the national level through America's Service Commissions, uh, where he is currently the vice chair and has done a lot of advocacy for the nonprofit sector, both in Illinois and Missouri and at the national level. Scott, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate the uh, inflated bio. It's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Not inflated at all. Uh, Scott and I uh, share a lot of things in common, having worked uh, together for a few years. In fact, we were two out of three Scots on our team in our small unit. Uh, both uh, have a background in scouting and uh, both believe very strongly in uh, uh, Scott's McFarland's motto, Better Yourself by Serving Others. We believe in the value of volunteerism. And of course, that's what our last episode uh, of NP Local was about. But we wanted to talk today about some specific principles in order to get the most out of your volunteer program. And that's why I brought Scott on. Uh, Scott, volunteers are worth a lot of money, you know? Yeah, they can be. Volunteer. Uh, yeah. Vol value of a volunteer hour nationally is over $28.50 per hour, according to the independent sector. That's an estimate of the value of volunteer time. Have you found that to be true in your work? Yeah, and you know, it's um, the independent sector number is one that I think folks should be using more than what they do, not only in their own volunteerism, you know, um, and that number holds pretty true. Uh, for me personally in Missouri, our number is $25.96, uh, so that's what we use a lot. But also for organizations, uh, it is very much uh, a number that is used nationwide. Most funders understand the independent sector and their their data on this. So if you're looking for a way to kind of put a value to what your organization's doing, it's a, it's a good number to have. It's 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 really um, beneficial to kind of take a step back and figure out exactly what volunteers are doing for your organization, your community, whatever. Uh, and having that that number in hand is a good one to, uh, to use. I've also used it in grant writing, Absolutely. right? When you got to have a soft match, um, a lot of times you're able to count the, the physical hard space and supplies that you're providing to meet the terms of the grant and certainly, hopefully, uh, percentage of staff salaries. You can also use volunteer time and independent sector. We'll put the link out there for our listeners, but it's a, a researched number and it is a, a reputable number that grantors will respect uh, as match as well. So. That's what we want to talk about today. How do we get that full value out of volunteers? 
Scott, I know there's a rubric that oftentimes we use for volunteer managers. You want to talk about that a minute? Yeah, let me rewind just real quick too on the, the volunteer time. One other example of that that's a really sure. good example is um, 10 years now, 10 years ago in May, uh, Joplin, Missouri was hit by a very large tornado that devastated the town. Uh, and uh, FEMA oh. came in, it was declared a national emergency. But even with FEMA, in order to get all of the federal dollars and resources that are coming to you, you have to have a match. Uh, and so one of the things that our AmeriCorps program did, of course, St. Louis, which was out there literally the day after the tornado touched ground, uh, tracked all those volunteer hours. And we're talking thousands of volunteers from all over the country, some from all over the world, coming to this town of Joplin, just almost on the Oklahoma border. And the use of that volunteer time covered the city's match. So they were able to access all the federal right. dollars uh, with that. So this is another example of volunteer um, volunteer time being very beneficial, especially in times of disaster. But going back to what you said, yeah, you know, what we really, what really, really work on and all of our volunteerism, be it national service with AmeriCorps, which if you haven't heard of AmeriCorps before, think the Domestic Peace Corps, someone signs up for up to a year. It works in the community, and in return, we give them an education award that can be paid for college student loan uh but with what we call traditional volunteers a stipended volunteer if they're full-time right? yes yes if they're full-time they do receive a stipend less than full-time members sometimes sometimes don't and uh that stipend's nothing really to write home about uh right now uh for a full-time member the minimum <laughs> stipend sixteen thousand. so still not what we call a living wage but it's something to keep them going while they're serving but uh going to your rubric you were talking yeah, for those kind of volunteers, think of volunteers in general. The key thing that we look at are what we call the three R's: the uh, uh, recruitment, attention, and recognition. We need to have all three in your strategies to make this work. Obviously, the, the way to think about problem the most is recruitment, is getting people to show up and to volunteer with you. But I think the more important two are the retention and um, the uh, recognition. Because, especially with younger folks, and I, I am sad to say young folks are not me anymore, but especially younger folks, they're very transitory when they volunteer. It's, it's not the days of our parents and grandparents where they volunteered for Kiwanis Club for their entire lives, or the Elks for their entire lives. They just don't do that anymore. Instead, they're moving around a lot. Right. So being able to retain those really good volunteers so they don't go on to somebody else, they stick with you, uh, is important. Let's t let's talk about each one of those. Uh, sure, I'm going to post on our uh, on our show notes an article uh, that I think has some really good synopses of ten best practices in volunteer management. It's from GrantWatch.com, interestingly, and um, and so anybody in the nonprofit world will want to uh, look at some of our show note links uh, because I think there's some important pieces that all of us know, right? Like you mentioned about recruiting. Well, we know that most nonprofits. Uh, use volunteers, and if not uh, only use them, they are dependent upon them for their own very existence. Um, but then, what are the best practices in doing that? And one of the things I think about before the three R's is staffing and structure. Um, and so I want to talk about that too, the volunteer management capacity. Uh, there's some research that's been done, um, first instigated uh, in the early 2000s and funded in part by the UPS Foundation and uh, some federal agencies. And that was done by the Urban Institute. And one of the major findings was that when an organization 
invests in volunteer management as a profession, maybe not a profession you go to college for, but a profession that you find yourself in because you're the chief fundraiser, because you're the chief human resource person, because you're the chief, (laughs) you're the executive director, so that falls on your hat, or whatever the case may be, an administrative assistant whose job includes some of these tasks, um, it's very important uh, that these individuals are trained. And so this volunteer management capacity, the, the ability of an organization to put volunteers to work, to manage them well, and to reap the most results from them is incredibly important. And Scott, one of the findings also was that uh, when we do have a natural disaster or some other emergency, these organizations that make investments in volunteer management capacity uh, are able to better respond to those emergencies. Not like we're living in a world of emergencies anymore, is it? <laughs> oh, I'm going to knock on some wood or something after that. You're going to jinx me. But anyway, I wanted to talk about that structure and staffing, and you'll see how these thread throughout as we talk about the three R's. Uh, so w- I want to encourage, first of all, and and uh, not to belabor the point, but encourage those nonprofit executives listening. Take, as, as my co-host has said, take this snippet of this recording to your executive director, to your board. Um, take the links uh, that we're putting in the show notes as your um, uh, fodder for discussion with regard to building that program the way it ought to be built, the way that maybe you already know it needs to be built. Uh, one of the best books I'll, I'll put out there as well, Volunteer Management by Steve McCurley and Rick Lynch. Got a chance to re- meet Rick at one point. Scott and I brought him in to speak at a training, and uh, I just want to mention that uh, this is kind of the A to Z. So this is not, though it's not a field that you go get a degree in, there's a lot of specialized training out there. And so we want to encourage folks to build that capacity so that you can respond to your organization's needs, to your community's needs, and to that of the broader community when there is a, an emergency like a natural disaster. We know they're valuable, and we know that capacity helps us to respond. So I just want to drill that point home. I would also encourage you, if you're wearing multiple hats, to develop strategies to perhaps work with the AmeriCorps program or other programs that can bring in additional support. I work in a college, my day job, Scott, you know, and um, and so we have students built in, right, built in that are able to do work-study engagements, um, and folks that uh, need to get some volunteer hours in the state of Tennessee. We have something called Tennessee Promise, where those who are on a scholarship with the state are required to do some volunteer service. And so uh, that's a good opportunity to, to get students volunteering in your nonprofit organization in Tennessee. And so I'm sure there are similar programs um, across the country in that way. So build that capacity. But let's talk about recruitment, Scott. That's kind of This is kind of the 101, right? What are some things that we should be doing as nonprofit directors to recruit the volunteer and the right yeah. volunteers. That and, we you know, need. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that these folks who are recruiting the volunteers are going to be wearing multiple hats. Um, most of our nonprofits are not the multi-million dollar organizations that are going to be able to, be able to hire a fine volunteer recruiter and volunteer manager. So you're probably going to be the HR person. You're probably going to be the events planner. You're probably going to be the days of service person. Um, in some cases, you may be it. You may, it may be one person doing the entire thing. So right. making sure that you reach out and get support from the community around you. Do not silo yourself off. That's the first thing I would absolutely say. And, you know, uh, Scott, you uh, really worked on this in Illinois with the Volunteer Management Network. And the idea of getting those organizations talking to each other doesn't happen as much as it should. So, for example, if there's a local 
hospital that's yeah. really looking for volunteers. And the Girl Scout Council is looking to put their junior scouts into a volunteer position. They're not talking to each other. That's a loss and uh, making sure that we reach out to those folks. The other thing, too, is to remember all the research we have sure. uh, boils down really to if you ask somebody why they didn't volunteer, they're going to give you one of two reasons or both. One is I didn't know where to go. And the second one is no one asked me to volunteer. So being able to amplify research as much as possible. There is a lot of local ways you can do that. With, you know, publishing in a local paper, you got the cash, throwing up a billboard or a radio app. But there's also a lot of online, not brick and mortar ways of reaching volunteers. Uh, there's a lot of organizations out there. Yeah. Well, let me just interject something you said there, Scott. Um, you know, so many of these principles, um, and I think I always said this because I've kind of been in both circles of fundraising as well as volunteer management. Mm-hmm. Um, they remind me of the fundraising principles. The, the number one thing is if you're going to get the gift, you ask. And so getting the word out, you're talking about the many ways to do that. But uh, sometimes you've got built-in volunteers. Yeah. It's a spouse or children of your board members. It's folks that are in that very community. It's the church that happens to be a block or two away from your offices. Uh, it's an after-school program, like you said, uh, like the Girl Scouts, trying to engage. Their their mission is to engage in the community. Uh, they're right there, but have you asked? And and have you, like you said, gotten out of the silo, built those and, relationships? And as you're saying, too, don't because usually those volunteer managers, as we are just saying, it's not 100% of your time, and you're probably being pulled in five different areas, five different places at once. Make sure to reach out to folks who can help with that, too. You do not have to be the person that is doing all the recruitment of these folks. Tap into local resources, community college, or a university, or a faith-based organization, or any other kind of organization that may have what uh, we call volunteer centers or volunteer connectors. These are organizations that facilitate that connection between a would-be volunteer and an organization. Uh, basically, be a let those folks be a force multiplier for you. So instead of you being that one person, you have many people helping you make that ask. Hey, we really, really truly need people to help with X, Y, and Z. But also, here is the information you need to do it well, to actually sign up, to know exactly what you're getting into, so these folks understand that. Well, that's a, yeah, that, that's a direction I want to be sure to hit, the real tangible stuff. Um, that is very much like a, um, a human resource department, if you will. Oftentimes, the folks wearing multiple hats are managing more folks uh, than any other manager in the organization when they manage volunteers. I know when I was in a hospital, uh, there were about 115, 120 volunteers. Maybe only 100 of them were active at any one point in time, uh, or even less than that, depending upon health issues and, and our uh, you know intake of volunteers and retirement of volunteers. But uh, that's quite a lot, right? Most, you know, I think Max Weber talks about a span of control of about five, right? And and so when you've got 50 or uh, 75 or 100, um, you have to have a structure to manage that. That's that's why I say staffing and structure, make that investment. Uh, you know, it's going to be a good time position when Max Weber gets brought into it. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, uh, I mean, but some of these things are such um, 
basic management principles, we just don't always think to put them into practice when it comes to a volunteer corps. Things like position descriptions and the background checks, um, policies, rules, expectations, and that a formal onboarding process that might be a one-to-one thing. It might be uh, 20 people in a room and, and multiple managers kind of sharing what they do in the organization. Um, you know, but there's a lot of risk that gets decreased with that. After all, this is uh, normally my co-host is an insurance guy, right, um, who specializes in nonprofits. And so uh, we talk about risk management within the organization to lower your premiums to the extent possible. And those policies and position descriptions, including things like uh, physical work requirements, there are just some jobs that have certain requirements and some of those are physical. You know, if it's not safe for the volunteer to lift a 30 pound box over their head onto a shelf at a thrift store, then that's not the role we need to put them in. And we need to have clearly defined lines uh, and find an alternative thing for them to do. Perhaps they can sit or stand at a table to sort the goods that come in, but not pack them and lift that box and, and put them in storage or, or whatever the case may be. But uh, anyway, I think we've raised some good things on recruitment. You want to transition sure, to retention? Sure. Go for it. We talked about, you know, good structure to the program and the volunteer management capacity. And I think a lot of those things uh, lend themselves to good retention rates. Um, folks who have uh, good structure uh, know where they belong, know what they can and cannot do. Uh, for example, at the hospital, we trained on uh, who could push wheelchairs and how far out, you know, they were able to push those and, and were they allowed to go here and there? Hospitals are big places after all. And then to lower that risk, we had formal wheelchair trainings um, at one point. Uh, what else do you think, Scott, about retention? Well, again, especially nowadays, you are going to be uh, hard set to retain volunteers, especially those who are in a younger demographic. And when I say younger, basically under 30 at this point, it's going to be very hard to retain those folks. So what you need to do is first go in realizing that's the case. Don't get upset if somebody leaves you for somewhere else. But I think a lot of what you just mentioned is very important. Making sure up front that these folks know exactly what they're getting into. Because what you do not want to have happen, that first impression, being them showing up for an event or showing up for their first hour of volunteering, and they're not doing what they signed up for. They're going to be very upset, and they're not going to return. Along with that, making sure that they yeah. have the training to do what they are going to be doing. For one, they're seeking the ability to grow themselves professionally or socially or whatever, just as much as you're seeking sure. them to volunteer with you. That sense of yeah, belonging. Exactly. So making sure that they have that onboarding. Don't just show, have them show up the first day, uh, throw them a box and say, here, start putting it in. There's no connection. There's no yeah. understanding of what their impact is. So making sure that you So again, them. like fundraising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on board well. And like fundraising, right? If we don't demonstrate the impact or we don't have that relationship, so maybe we should call this retention about uh, something related to relationship as well. Absolutely. Because if you've got a manager, uh, one of the things I think that we need is supervision and feedback as well. So, you know, to, to be able to ensure they know uh, their reporting structure and where they stand as a volunteer, that's part of maybe the onboarding, uh, but also giving them feedback. We had annual evaluations in the core that I supervised, just like you would an employee, because if you value volunteer as if a key employee, they are a key employee, 
then we need to do some of those similar things. They know where they stand. They know who, which which of us doesn't really want to improve, yeah. right? If you're if you're doing a task and you're choosing to be there, not being paid for it, you know, we, we choose to be in our jobs. We choose to be in volunteer positions, and you kind of want to know where you stand. I think that we owe that to our volunteers. I would add to that too. Continue to reinforce with them the impact that they're having. I'll give you a quick example. Um, uh, 9-11 Day has become the largest national day of service uh, in, the, in the country. It actually overshadowed MLK mm-hmm. Day last year. Uh, and with the 20th anniversary being you know, less or a little bit over a month away, I'm sure it's going to be even bigger yeah. this year. So last year for 9-11 during COVID, it was a little rough. But we were able to uh, uh, do uh, some volunteer work at the um, uh, Chicago Food Depository, which is the largest food bank in the city of Chicago. So mm-hmm. one of the largest food banks in the country. And they had a right. lot of volunteers coming in and out, packing food, putting stuff together. But really it was, you know, take this box, put it in here with this pasta and do all this. So if you're just sitting there doing the assembly line, you don't have much of a connection to what you're doing. But after all the service was done for each shift, they would bring everyone back into a main room, socially distanced, and they would say, okay, the, your team packed 700 pounds of, I'm just making this up, but 700 pounds of food. Yeah. That is, uh, That's one pound stuff. of food is three meals. That's the metric they use. So you just made 2,100 meals and showing that they And they did it in real time. Exactly. So it wasn't, I was moving one box wow. to another. It's, I fed 2,100 people. So making sure you reinforce this throughout <laughs> their service. And it, Short-term or long-term, it doesn't matter. Another thing with that, too, is if they can, and sometimes they can't, but let them meet the folks that they are serving so that they can see that if they are right. providing educational services to an after-school program, they're meeting those kids. They're seeing the uh, development of those children, whatever the volunteer right. may be. Make sure they see impact because they're going to be more likely to stay and just they're going to be better volunteers for you because they're going to be bought into your mission, whatever that mission is. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really a great segue to recognition as well. Um, in fact, I was sitting here thinking that some of the things you were talking about uh, that were happening in real time uh, for other organizations, those were good things to put out, maybe not in an annual report, but some sort of uh, PowerPoint at an event. I remember I've done a lot of table tents at various events and it's kind of interesting to have little factoids on those or maybe you recognize your sponsors, it, you know, if it's a fundraising event. But we used to, uh, we've done word clouds um, with facts and figures and different things that can stand out as a visual and a conversation piece while folks are going through the food line. But I think um, anyway, recognition, That's that impact is also a form of recognizing them. You know, what is the sum total of the hours that, that have been contributed and maybe the value of those hours over the last year at your annual recognition yeah. banquet? Do you think folks have annual recognition banquets? Not, not well, lately, you, you know, but... I, uh, I, I think it's still... That common? I, I see a lot of them. I know how common it is, but honestly, I think they should be more common. I, I think it's, uh, it's something that we should not let go of um, as a society is coming together and celebrating our achievements. And uh, so I've spoken at several of those. I know you have too. And uh, just point. seeing the the excitement of the volunteers, not so much getting the tchotchke, whatever they're going to get that day, but meeting folks around them who have volunteered too, sharing their stories, 
sharing their experiences. Again, potentially seeing the clientele and meeting yeah. the people that they serve, which sometimes doesn't get to happen a lot. Um, one of the, the best um, events I ever saw was actually at a disaster, and they had some of the, the, the victims of the disaster come and just talk about what the volunteers did for them while the volunteers were sitting there. And it's, it's just being able to recognize that they, they had something to give um, of themselves and that what they did had impact. The last right. thing you want somebody to feel is, I gave an hour of my time and I could have done it better somewhere else. You want them to feel like that had meaning and worthwhile and it was right. worth their time and your time. Well, and I think also, and, and I know we're coming up on time, we've probably gone a little bit long this episode, but you know, even those positions that don't seem as out front, the positions that seem like they're moving a little slower, they're a little more boring. Um, I used to emphasize uh, to our volunteers that would sit at uh, entrances, particularly entrances that were not the main entrance, and how important it was. The person coming in those doors is probably fighting cancer yeah. because the cancer treatment center is right next door. Um, and, and so the time you spend with the one um, more than makes Absolutely. up for the 20 that just walked in the front door. Uh, because you were here. It wasn't an empty lobby or in waiting room. What I tell my AmeriCorps members all the time is um, most of us are one or two paychecks from, uh, from crisis. Uh, many of us are dealing with mental uh, situations that no one's ever going to know about. So you don't know what that person you're, you're talking to is going through that day. And it really, truly right. could be just just a smile uh, and a reformation of what's going on that could literally turn their lives around. You just don't know. So it's one of those where you will absolutely change a life, even if you're uh, working in a registration desk. You, um, right. you have that ability to do that. And reminding folks that no matter what the job, the job is important. That's another thing going back to everything we just talked about. Make sure that job's important. If something that they shouldn't be volunteering and doing, don't have them do it. Find another right. way get that job done and then get the volunteer to do something that's going to be more impactful uh, for your organization and for the volunteer. And I would just say if, if you have questions about these uh, things to our listeners, uh, Scott, you'd be willing to have them reach out to you, right? I know that they can reach out to me. We always publish um, our websites. Uh, your website, Scott, for the commission? Show me service. Dot org. It's really easy if you think Missouri, showmeservice.org. My email and my phone number are both listed at the bottom of that page. And uh, my, my job um, is not just as the ED of Missouri, as uh, Scott mentioned. Uh, I also work in wide with the uh, Association of State Service Commission. So whether you're in Guam or whether you're in Missouri, um, I know somebody, and I mean this, I know somebody I can connect you with. Uh, to help. So feel free to reach out to me and I'd be happy to facilitate that. That's right. Let me run through. I know, Scott, we created a list together of some of these resources for our listeners. And so let's start with uh, ASK, the State Service Commission Association. Uh, we'll put that link in the notes. Uh, this literally means Scott is part of a national network. Uh, when we worked in Illinois, we knew folks nationwide. Uh, Scott still has those relationships and knows who they are today. Uh, so that would be particularly if you're interested in national service, but also uh, volunteer connector organizations. There's a number of local organizations. You find them in United Ways, in community colleges or universities. 
in your local chamber of commerce, and they, they structure these uh, volunteer management organizations to help vet volunteers, because screening is so important, background checks are so important. They help you craft that position description if you don't have experience in that, and they offer trainings. One of the certifications, the Council for Certification and Volunteer Administration offers the CVA credential. That's cvacert.org. And uh, there's some other organizations we will put into the into the uh, notes as well. So I hope that that provides our listeners with a number of resources. Uh, and again, any final words, Scott? I would just say that uh, we are always looking for, for more people to volunteer across this country, uh, especially now coming out of this pandemic, we'll be digging out of this hole for a very long time. Uh, a lot of people are going to be in crisis, sure. food insecurity, uh, housing insecurity, what have you. And so we need you. Uh, and also for uh, folks who are running those um, organizations, uh, now is the time to really revitalize your volunteer efforts because people are going to be looking to serve more. I think we're going to see a lot of people wanting to get out more in their community than what we've had in the past. So uh, reach out to those resources. You're not alone uh, and make sure that you are um, uh, no stone unturned because uh, we're going to need all the help we can get in our communities for a long time to come. Thank you very much. And thank you for being a guest on NP Local. This is Scott Nearman, and that's a wrap.